Hello, you're listening to uh, On Israel in El Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspid from Tel Aviv. Usually, the chiefs of uh, Shin Bet in Israel are not talking straight to the Israeli public. Last Saturday, in a very rare act, Shin Bet chief Nadav Argaman issued a personal statement warning against incitement saying that it could lead to someone being physically harmed as a vitriol surrounding the political situation in Israel reaches a high point. Though the Shin Bete chief did not name uh, any name specifically, Argaman was referring due to a few analysts primarily to threats against the Amina chairman of Tali Bennett and other members of his party following their decision to enter into a government with Yeshatid, Yair Lapid, and other parties seeking to oust Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Personally, I think uh, Shinbet Chief Argaman referred also to the possibility that someone will take a law and order to its hands and harm a supporter or anyone that uh, supports Yamina party or the uh, demonstrations against Netanyahu and bring Israel to chaos. Israel is facing one of its most dramatic, decisive, dangerous, explosive weeks in recent history. This week that uh, we are describing will bring us to the very dramatic and historic vote maybe next Monday in the Knesset, where the 120 Israeli uh, uh, Knesset members will have to vote to confirm the new government and actually send Benjamin Netanyahu back home. A single vote. This is all Netanyahu needs to keep his grip on power, at least for the foreseeable future. If he succeeds, Israel is headed for another election cycle, the fifth in less than 60 months. After the 2015 election, Bibi relinquished the idea of ruling from the center. The coalition he created sharply divided Israel and his vocal core group of supporters demonized anyone who opposed him, regardless of their ideological leaning. The powerful illusion that Bibi dubbed the magician in the Israeli political beltway, so artfully conjured is pre predicated on the notion that without his leadership and mainly his statesmanship, Israel is in, in mortal peril. And now, a week before the Knesset votes on uh, installing the most diverse and sorely fragile coalition in the country's history, Netanyahu's political demise is far from certain. However, if Bennett and Lapid's unprecedented alliance receives the confidence of the Knesset, it will be the bitterest of ironies. For it was not an invigorated center-left coalition that defeated him, but his disillusioned disciples, Avigdor Lieberman, Gidon Saar, and Aftali Bennett. We will talk about all these issues with our guest today. He was Prime Minister Ariel Sharon's advisor and his liaison to the Knesset, 
אורן מגנזי, the co-founder of business accelerator for Israeli defense startups and an expert on the U.S.-Israeli political relationship, shares his perspective about the Netanyahu era and his legacy in regards to the U.S.-Israel relationship. Magnesi worked also with Prime Minister Olmert. He knows Netanyahu very well from the inside, easily Kudnik, and I'm sure he'll have a lot of things to teach us right after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me. Andrew Parasoliti. Now this is time to say hello to my friend and colleague, Oren Magnesi. How are you, Oren? And thank you for joining us here in Unmonitor. Hello, Ben. Uh, it's a privilege to be nominated, as they say. I'm happy to be here. And uh, we're happy to have you. Listen, uh, we have a busy uh, conversation uh, to make, and the, these are uh, dramatic, historic times in Israel. The next week will be uh, very uh, intense and, uh, and very frightening, actually. Uh, a week or so from now, uh, the, we, we expect the vote in the Knesset that is supposed to approve the new government, the unbelievable moment of, uh, of having someone else, not Benjamin Netanyahu as Prime Minister of Israel, after 12 years, 12 consecutive years, and it's, uh, we, have, we, we will face a lot of problems until then. Many of uh, his, uh, his uh, colleagues, Netanyahu's colleagues in the extreme right are, are trying to maybe to, to, to ignite again the, the, the area, the scene with a new, march of flags in Jerusalem and, and many other uh, incidents like this. And uh, I wanted uh, to, uh, I, I remember that you've worked with the two prime ministers in Israel with Ehud uh, Olmert and of course Ariel Sharon. And uh, I wanted to ask you, we, we are talking a lot of uh, time now about uh, the resemblance between uh, Bibi and Trump. And uh, we just heard the Thomas Friedman piece that uh, that Bibi is Trump and the, the government of change is Biden. What do you think about uh, uh, this, uh, maybe this headline? Well, I, uh, first, let me address what you said. I think, I think the, you're correct about the unpredictability of, of, of the next few days. Um, I think that what Netanyahu fears most is a moment where he's not a prime minister and the sky doesn't fall. All the predictions, all the mortal peril, uh, that a group of 50 
some year old are going to run the country, which is really unprecedented for a young country like ours. What's going to happen if things are not as terrible as he imagines? What happens if you can have a decent relationship with the United States? Uh, you might not have an orator like Netanyahu to present you around the world, which is important to Israelis, but it's not the most important thing. What would happen a month after? I think that's what terrifies him. And I think that um, I think that's what makes it unpredictable and what makes it dangerous. Now, you have to remember, Benjamin Netanyahu is not Donald Trump. He, his DNA to begin with is more like a Republican senator from Maine, right? You know, upstate kind of Northeastern Republican. He's not an extremist. He chose something that a lot of leaders have been tempted to do. And I think Trump has perfected this and made it into a form of art, um, which is choosing um, sort of the infrastructure of, of today's communication because it, it's the easy way out. The hardest thing is to rule from the center. The hardest thing is to compromise. The hardest thing is to go, is to, you see leaders like Bill Clinton in the 90s who looked back at his party and says, I disagree with you. And in order to get elected, we have to change. And this is something that Tanao has never done. He's never looked back to his people and says, you know what? We're, we're, in, we're in power. We're the leaders. We need to change. And Tanao chose the easy way out. And the easy way out is, is polarizing. And it, it's much easier to polarize today than it was uh, 15 and 20 years ago. Um, Sharon chose to rule from the center because I think that when he came to the prime minister's office, this awe of, of Israel's, you know, you know, perpetual, uh, it's neat to think that the Israel is, is perpetual, that Israel is going to exist. I used to come into his room at the Knesset during votes and he wouldn't read the newspaper. Honestly, he would read the Bible. And I said, Sharon was not a religious man. Why would he read the Bible? He looked 50 years ahead, 70 years ahead. That's what really managed him. And he, he sort of disconnected himself from the here and now and says, I, what am I going to leave? What's, what's my legacy? And I think, and I think Netanyahu just, it's just easier for leaders today. It was easy for Trump, who really never governed in his life anything, uh, you know, uh, you know, government-wise. Uh, and you had, and you have Netanyahu now, who is probably our smartest prime minister, probably the most sophisticated prime minister, probably the most global-minded uh, individual, who who really squandered, I would say. Uh, and and you're probably, you know, you're you're the expert on Netanyahu. Uh, I want to remind our listeners. Uh, but my perspective is that he really squandered an opportunity to be a huge leader. And the fact that he's he, he's going to end up this way, either by clinging on to power um, while doing things that are really unprecedented or being sort of voted out of power. Uh, and then I have to end up uh, in court. And if half of the things that they're accusing him uh, are true, he's going to end up just like Ulmer because Ulmer was accused in things that are actually could, could you, you can argue that they're less severe than what he has. Um, and that's going to be a very sad ending to to really, really someone who could have been a great leader. I want just to mention one anecdote. Maybe most of people don't know if Naftali Bennett is going to be a prime minister, uh, the English will be almost the same. Bennett is the son of American-born uh, parents sure. that made an aliyah. He was born in Haifa in Israel, but but his mother language is uh, is English, and uh, right. he's uh, quite charismatic. Uh, he's not Netanyahu, but you know he's very young, so this will be very interesting. But I agree with you, hundred uh, percent, Oren. Netanyahu ruled from the center most of his career until 2015, mm -hmm. and uh, this is maybe the 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 point where a leftist in Israel, uh, if you you are uh, listening to the right, we're not wrong. 
but traitors. And right now, many people fear that Netanyahu is capable just to anything. He calls, and maybe his son, they call their supporters to, you know, to storm the high, the high court, the Knesset, the houses of the Knesset members that are go- supposed to vote in favor of this new government. And I wanted to ask you to complete this corner do you fear or do you think it's possible that we'll see in Israel a, a capital scenario? Gee, I really hope we don't. I mean, I, I, I would hate to make any predictions. I think that what you saw in terms of violence uh, a couple of weeks ago was a result of fear and a lot of things that were backed up. You know, when, you're, when your country's bombarded with, with missiles, it really shakes the core of of the sense of security that everyone is, that this can get to you, even if you're living in Tel Aviv. And if you ever visited Tel Aviv, you know that it feels like the, like a city part of this global, you know, network of cities that's just living the life. And, and I think, and I think that that was the source of it on both ends, you know, it was, it was what Arabs feel towards uh, Jews on, on, on a daily basis, the discrimination that they feel that has an explanation. I think that if you wanted to take Bibi's hardcore supporters, and people who are afraid of this change and tell them that they have to sort of attack their own. I really hope we're not there, let's say that. And, I, and I'd like to believe that, it's, that we're not there. Uh, that, that is something that would be, you, we remember the time after Rabin. I was a soldier back then and I remember the animosity. I was the only Likudnik in my unit, which was all Kibbutzniks and, and I remember even though that I was, you know, I was against the Oslo agreements, I, I, I felt sort of a crack that, that sort of a, 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 a chasm that opened up between me and other people. And I, and I, and I know how terrible that is. And it took, took many years to sort of heal big parts of it. That would be terrible. That would be something that is gonna have lasting um, effects on our resilience, um, our future, our success. So I really hope that doesn't happen. Let's uh, try to, uh, to talk about Netanyahu himself. We both follow this uh, guy for, uh, I think I, I'm doing it for two and a half, maybe three decades. I'm from the outside as a journalist and you're from the inside. You worked uh, with him, with prime ministers. And, and we both remembered that he's the BB of the, the 90s and maybe even uh, early this uh, century is not the, the mighty <clears throat> magician a, a stubborn, a tough politician we see now. I, I'm sure you remember the scene where the, the Knesset was supposed to vote for Sharon's disengagement and Netanyahu was uh, trying to, to lead a rebellion against Sharon uh, during the vote and it, it, it was supposed to be a putsch and then it came into history as the night of the, of the banana punch. It was, it was a joke and he surrendered in the last minute and rushed into the, the, the Knesset and they yelled in favor and voted in favor of the disengagement. And uh, the, today Netanyahu is a total different uh, personality. He is not getting into panic fast. He fights until the last moment and, and further on. And he became something, I, I think it's, it's a political monster. How do you explain it? Well, I, th- I think um, if you're looking at a tipping point, that 2015 was sort of the pinnacle of it. Um, but I think, uh, remember, Likudniks by nature, and, and as a member still until today of, of the Likud movement, and someone who sees his future in that party, 
um, our DNA tells us to support the leader. When Sharon was the leader, he was not as charismatic as Netanyahu in, in the sort of usual sense, right? He's not a, he's not a Hollywood actor kind of charismatic. Um, but people followed him and they were afraid to defy him. And they trusted his judgment because Sharon was really kind of, you know, bigger than life individual and politician. Um, Netanyahu is the leader of the Likud. A lot of the things that you see, a lot of the support that he's getting from people, you wouldn't think that would support the things that he's doing has to do with that because our electorate is very unforgiving when it comes to uh, supporting the leader. And that's also kind of part of the magic of Likud being in power for such a long time. Uh, we don't, we don't hit our leaders. Our leaders rule until they decide to go or they end up, you know, uh, disabled, as they say. Um, I, I would think I would think that the change has to do. I don't want to get into the psycho politics of it. You know, there's there's um, you know so much about his, this guy. I actually walked the streets as I live in Boston. I walked the streets that he walked. He lived there for a long time. I think it shaped him a lot. Um, he I think he, he believes that there's no larger Israeli narrative that he fits in and he has to split the narrative because there's one half of the narrative that believes him or that he can make believe in him and make him the be all and um, sort of the guy, the leader, the unique unicorn of leaders, right? And there's another part that even if sometimes we support the things that he's doing is the same as, you know, uh, look at the peace agreements, right? I mean, that's not something to be, to be dismissed, right? Look at the Arab, um, the way that he's actually legitimized, you know, and not, not the moderate parts of the Arab uh, sector, but, but you would say that the, the Muslim fundamentalist. I thought yeah. I wanted to dive more into, uh, because, yeah. you know, if we will ignore the, the criminal charges in the trial, and uh, let's say hope that he would be acquitted finally, mm -hmm. uh, the paradox, one of Bibi's paradoxes is that he, he may leave a, a legacy of a peacemaker. We have the fourth, uh, the four uh, Abraham Accords, and and mm -hmm. what you just mentioned, the historic, unbelievable confirmation by by the the leader of the of the right wing in Israel, of the Muslim Brotherhood the movement. It's and they are going to be inside within this government if it will uh, actually uh, come to life and this is on his watch by him so the, he didn't want to get into history like this i think you know that's kind of funny because because a lot of the stuff you do as a leader you know uh my professor john and i at the kennedy school he used to say you can't judge a leader after 15 years you see you see what they've done after 50. Now, you know, you know, with, with 40, 46 American presidents that, that you have some span. We we are now trying to we're now beginning to understand what Ben Gurion's decisions and Golda's decisions are actually meant for the country, because you can see it up this. Way. I think Netanyahu, even if he didn't mean to, even if it was just for a political move, even if it was just like, you know what, there's a guy over there and he's uh, he, he can cut a deal. Right. But I think it was based on something deeper. Um, my last job in the government was um, working as the founding director of the uh, of the economic development agency for the Arab communities, um, and and I learned they have to listen with sort of two ears. Okay, there's one ear where I used to go to the, all these conferences of all these NGOs, and they used to tell me that me as someone whose parents were born in Libya and Morocco, and why and, and they have direct lineage to to the land of Israel, are colonial colonialists, which to me was kind of gut turning, right? Because I'm as indigenous as anybody else and probably more than anyone else to this, to this land. Uh, and that's what you hear. 
then you hear that the occupation is responsible for uh, Arabs, Israeli husbands hitting their wives. And you hear all these things that are ridiculous. And then on the other hand, you keep listening. You don't walk out and leave. You listen to younger people who are saying, I have a choice when I'm 18. Do I go to the, do I buy the narrative of um, sort of the modern narrative that says, go to the university, go find a job, take, take advantage of the opportunities that this thriving economy gives you. And if you just let me fit in, I will fit in. I will not stop being a Muslim. I will not maybe not have stop have solidarity with my Palestinian brothers as they see it. But I'll, if you let me in, I'll be in. And I think that the reason that Netanyahu could do that is not because he's, you know, his leadership is so good that when he decided, then everyone says, oh, well, that's a really great idea. No, I think it had, had to do with a lot of things that happened in the last 20 years. There's a whole generation of, of young Arabs who Arabic is, Arabic is their language, uh, the mother's tongue, and their culture. But they've lived in an Israeli society. Remember, Israeli society is not European by no nature. I mean, I mean that's at least not my part. Right of, of the Jewish people in Israel. So I think that that actually made sense to a lot of people. It says, if you can put our differences apart, if you can pine for Al-Aqsa and we'll pine for the, uh, the, you know, the left bank of the, the, the right bank of the Jordan River, right? The full Israel. We can all pine for those things, but there's actually an opportunity to live in a country that is a miracle. And I think that Arabs told you they want to participate in that miracle. Now, if he meant it or not, Ben, Uh, that's um he did not I, he, he, he meant to now, say now, he, now he's u-turning on it right because how dare that, you how that's dare exactly the, left, the question how will, dare the left do will that, the right? u-turn Oren succeed now his supporters are claiming no you did you did not hear uh, prime minister Netanyahu in his voice confirming uh, Mansour Abbas while we all know everybody in Israel knows that he was negotiating with Mansour Abbas uh, simultaneously with Bennett and Lapid uh, last week, and he promised Abbas to give him more than, than he gets from the other side. So the, the final question about, about this issue is, do you think it's a done deal, or will the next leader of the right will be uh, able to ignore this unbelievable move? I, you know, I, I don't want we've been, we've been behind the scenes for too long. To assume um, only the best of intentions and um, <laughs> acting out of sort of you know um, true faith to your ideals and yeah, Mansour Abbas is a politician and he seems like he's becoming an, an effective politician for his people and that's the reason that you know the night of the, the election everyone thought he's not going to you know not going to meet the threshold he got in and that was that was surprising because it means that there is someone there are people in the Arab society in Israel. that actually see this as an opportunity. And you can take everything he says and says, oh, he's just lying, right? I, he doesn't mean what he's saying because he just wants to get resources and whatever. But he said some really unprecedented things, if you listen to him. When you, when you, when there were attacks, his condemnations, the, so just the verbiage of them, just the, just the way that he said them and, and what he meant, what it seems that he means, was really different. I mean, it was, it was something that sort of a, a tipping point. So I don't think he could be taken back. I think that if a politician sees that opportunity, um, I am a great believer in the integration of the Arab society into the larger Israeli society. I think it's an incredible opportunity. If you need an economic incentive, it's a huge economic benefit for, for uh, Israeli Jews to integrate Arabs. 
Um, if you're looking for resilience or social cohesion, if you're looking, you know, when you're building relationships with more Arab countries, they're actually a huge advantage. They're, they're your, they're, could be potentially your liaison in terms of business, in terms of culture. I mean, the opportunity is there, Ben. You know, we're, we're, we're in this political theater, but you know what the most dangerous thing to, to, the, to the mindset we live in now? There is a solution for the Palestinian-Israeli conflict that 80% of the people can live with. There is a solution to the relationship between religious and secular that 80% of the people can live with. And there's solutions for, do we want a, a, a capitalist society or a socialist society or a hybrid of those enjoying benefits of, of most? There is 80% of the people who would agree to those things. The problem is that if you put these, these um, decisions or these, these um, compromises on the table, the edges, the left and the right are going to lose their power. And in Israel, because we don't have a constitution and because we don't have long-standing democratic traditions, what has happened is that they've been able to leverage and over-leverage their power. And the right wing, the extreme right wing, what you see right now, we called right-wingers like extreme right-wingers. I'm a right-winger. The, the people that are now in power are, are, were, were the extremists, were people who were not allowed until they could. They were, okay, we'll listen to you, but we're not buying 100% of what you're saying. By and the way, were... uh, this is the founding principle of the new government is exactly what you just said. We agree on 80% of the issues. Let's try to, uh, to focus in, uh, in this vast agreement and, and, and not ignore, but, but go ahead. And I want to ask you, uh, Oren, uh, you're in the end now. You're still a Likudnik, uh, aren't you? Uh, it's a, you, you die a Likudnik if you're born a Likudnik, right? I mean, uh... I mean yes, it's my, it's my party. And I know people kind of mock me, says, oh, you, have you seen what's going on there? So but you know what? what? I, th I, th I think it could come back to being what it was, which is. I wanted is to a... ask you about Likud because you're 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 going to uh, you are. I think it's the end of a, of an eight year old eight year relocation to Boston mm -hmm. for your family, and you're heading back to Israel uh, later this year. Which Likud are you going to find? The Likud, I was a Likudnik as well, as you know. I know. It used to be a party of leaders of big clashes between people like Menachem Begin and Sharon and Shamir and David Levi and Olmert and Milo and Livnat and, and, and primaries and ideas. And it became, I think, a cult, a cult of a, of, of a single family. Which Likud do you think you're going to find when you're back there? Well, if you're looking at this um, sort of from a cold political analysis, you have a lot of people that because of the code I mentioned of, of following your leader, even if you didn't believe in him, even if you think, even if you wouldn't do the things that he would do, even if you sort of not support every, every policy he has, you still, these people are sort of, well, there's going to be another leader after Bibi. And I, I can tell you something about Likud. It's a vibrant party. There are people there who wants to get elected. They're actually, it's the, one of the only places in Israel and this is why I think one of the main reasons that I will never leave that party is because you can go to the people and you can ask them to vote for you. And they and if they vote for you, you'll get it. You'll, you'll be elected, which is kind of the most basic democratic principle. Likud, Likud draws ambition from a young generation of leaders. It's, it's always what kept it alive. And I think that Netanyahu was an, an anomaly in the sense that he got stuck there for such a long time. Because when Begin was, was, the, was the chairman of the Kud for many, many years, but he actually actively cultivated new, uh, new generation of leaders. Netanyahu is, the reason he's in this situation is because he's decimated every, every level of leadership. 
the people at his age, the people who are younger than him, the people who are my age in their 40s, he's decimated their leadership. He didn't lose to the left. He didn't lose to the to to you know Yair Lapid's charisma or Benny Gantz's you know height. Uh, he lost because his disciples got disillusioned and they were powerful enough to take a big bite of, of his electorate and leave. And that's the reason we're, we're here. It's because he actually never cultivated. We have a, we have a right-wing majority in the Knesset. This is probably most, most right-wing majority we've ever had, clear right-wing majority. Um, but it's not, he's made it not about that. He's made it about him. Um, and I, and I think, and I think that Likud has, first of all, I think that I like, I like a lot of the, the people who left. I think I supported Sharon and the establishment of Kadima. And I, in hindsight, I told him at, at that moment, and there's somewhere in his archives uh, a note from me that wrote a, I wrote a whole speech of how he decides to stay in Likud because it was, it was kind of a decision that, that he was thinking about. And I remember him waving that piece of paper after he read it at night and he says, you know, I can't take all your advice, right? And I, I knew it was joking because he already made up his, his mind a few days ago. Few days I, I want that, to understand, you recommended him uh, not to leave the Likud? I, th- I thought it was, I thought he should stay and he should um, sort of reclaim the centrist right-wingers place in the good because Sharon just was tired of that. Um, a, f- a few years before that, remember, Moshe Feiglin identified the fact that a democratic uh, movement can actually be infiltrated by using its own rules. And the problem is that people there, they were, they were at the extremist of the, of the settler movement um, are now members of the Central Committee. That, that was never that was unheard of, and they and they and they know that they're using the liquid. Some of them might have not even vote for the liquid. No, I I think no one knows uh, what would have happened if Sharon uh, would not have that, that stroke, and uh, with Kadima, with the future of Kadima, and uh, I were, you remember Olmert won the election, but then uh, the second Lebanon war erupted and right. uh, everything collapsed. But but let's not get into it. I want right. to use. Uh, we are almost out of time, but you're an expert in Israel. U.S. relationship and as well uh, Israel and the diaspora, the Jews relationship. I wanted to ask you these on these two issues first. And Netanyahu was a, was a, a Republican, and he, he, I think, first time in history, a prime minister in Israel acted uh, publicly uh, and supported the Republican side, and it caused a lot of damage to the, the bipartisan principle of uh, the support uh, uh, towards Israel from the United States. What will happen now? Because uh, if the, the Biden administration will get a new government uh, from Israel, on one hand, it's not Bibi anymore. But on the other hand, uh, uh, Bennett is more right-winger. He's more Republican. Yair Lapid is not. Yair Lapid is Democrat. What do you expect to happen now? in this very interesting front? Well, I think Netanyahu didn't have it. Well, he is forced to feel very comfortable with Republicans. He speak their language. Um, you have to remember, being back in the 70s when he was um, our ambassador to the United States, he liked Republicans. He felt he was more close to Republicans and Democrats. So this is not, you know, this is not just strictly about sort of the cultural, political affiliations that he has with, uh, with them. It's if you want to understand the backdrop, you have to look at his very effective. And I dare say, um, I want to be careful saying this, Ron Dermer, who is one of the most brilliant people ever to serve in the Israeli government and as uh, Israel's ambassador to the United States, 
would not, and this is something that came out of his office. People used to go meet him. He says, I, I don't spend time on the, on, the, on the reform movement because they're just gonna disappear. I, I discount them as political uh, support for Israel. I don't think they're part of the Jewish people. And if you're thinking about an ideology that led that, led that because American Jews vote against their interests. They vote against their inter economic interests. Almost every minority that ended up, that started poor, right? And ended up being wealthier, shifted to the right. A lot of them became Republicans. Jews have not. Jews, because of a lot of reasons, but it, I think it's, it's a matter of tradition, the way that Judaism is developed in the United States. They vote against their economic interests. They vote for higher taxes. They vote for social reform. Now, to them, that's being Jewish. To us, being Jewish is supporting Israel. And I think it's, instead of bridging that gap, um, it, it's been, to discount some says we'll replace you with, with evangelical Christians. We'll replace you with, uh, with members of the black community who are you know, devout uh, Christians. Uh, we'll find other people to support Israel because one, I disagree with you religiously. You're not, you're not really Jews. And two, you're Democrats and you're progressive Democrats. I think it's a terrible way of splitting the world. I, I disagree with a lot of the stuff that American Jews promote. I agree with a lot of the stuff that they do. I think that they're encrypt. I think unique America would be different without Jews. I think it wouldn't be America the way that we know it now. Uh, they really wrote a lot of America's DNA and we owe them a lot. I think that destroying this relationship, shunning them, um, excluding them religiously, that is, you know, I, I, I want to I qualify what I said about waiting 50 years to see what happens with the leaders, you know, results. This is damage that I am 100% sure that if it won't get fixed, it will be something we'll, in 50 years, we'll cry about. I heard it from the, the previous consul general in New York, Danny Dayan. Mm -hmm. You know, what just hinted about uh, Dermer's policy, it is Netanyahu, Netanyahu's policy. He, Prime Minister is saying loud and clear that the American Jewry is not here with us anymore. He wiped, wiped them out of the map. And, and he's putting all his interests with, with the, uh, the, the evangelical vote. And you see, by the way, in this weekend, you saw support uh, uh, or, or maybe uh, uh, speeches against the, the change government in Israel from evangelical supporters of Israel. So you see uh, to, to what direction this is going to. And, and, and for God's sake, the American Jews are our brothers. We cannot just say, listen, friends, you're not here anymore. I think what you're seeing then is something far more disturbing and, and dangerous. You're seeing um, a movement that it's still in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the process of being defined, but you see all these new think tanks that are coming into Israel. They're splitting the world into something which is not a very, it's a very goyish perspective. You have the right and you have the left and you have the progressives that are globalists and you have, we are a very small country and a very young democracy. What the American democracy with its institutions and history and tradition can withstand is not something we can withstand. When you buy a, a newspaper, in Las Vegas, because you want to, one out of three newspaper in Las Vegas, and because you want positive coverage, it's one out of three newspapers in Las Vegas. When you buy a newspaper in Israel, your footprint is so big that it can create a huge splash. It could change reality, when people perceive reality. The involvement of American Jews, and I believe that all of them are doing it because they love Israel, 
has to be more dangerous. Our, our interference, our identification with certain parts of the American uh, political system should be more careful. The Democratic Party in its majority is a pro-Israel uh, pro Israel party. Look at their voting record. If they, uh, it's very convenient to make AOC or all the other, excuse me, nut shops that are in that part of the party be the be the sort of the center, be the, the representative, but it's not. And we're marginalizing people who are Israel supporters. Why? Because they are not 100% behind Netanyahu or they're not 100% behind every, a relationship can, is not one-sided. They're they not our ATM and we're not, we're not a, a pawn in their political game. And this is what it has become. It's a very lazy thing to do and it's a very dangerous thing to do. We have to re remain part of, uh, bipartisan. We have to, by the first thing that, that, that Bennett has to do. Bennett, by the way, his parents uh, were attended a reform synagogue for many years. I think someone actually, I didn't know that, but one of his detractors, you know, kind of found a, an old uh, news clip that he, you know, his parents got married at some place and they were, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't strictly orthodox the way that he is now, or obviously modern orthodox from being Romanana, right? Um, I think the first thing he would have to do is reach out and says, I disagree with you, but you're my brothers and sisters. Exactly. And, and that will be the first healing um, stage. Oren Magnesi, I could um, go on with this conversation. I think important and interesting, interesting conversation with you uh, for two more hours, but we're out of time. It was fascinating and uh, worrying, but I thank you very much for uh, being our guest here in, on Israel in Al Monitor. And we'll get uh, now to uh, get to another uh, very short break, and we'll be back with some final thoughts uh, right after this. Wait for us. Thank you, Oren Toda. All right. Thank you, Ben. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast on the Middle East where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. A famous uh, Israeli saying describes Tel Aviv as what Israel wants to be, Jerusalem as what Israel is, and Haifa, a city where left and right Jews and Arabs, religious and secular, live in relative harmony, is what Israel should aspire to be. Will Israel receive its well-deserved Haifa coalition government next week? Will the spell be broken? I think after uh, listening to this uh, very interesting uh, conversation with Oren Magnesi, Israel has a chance, at least to try. Thank you for listening. I hope to see you here next week in Al Monitor on Israel. I'm, I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv, not Haifa, 
Take care. Bye-bye.